Good morning, Interweb. Welcome back to the Artifexian podcast in this month's episode. I have started Irish lessons, so Bill and I chat a little Osquilaga before talking more about Lexergy. In eCairn, we hear from Dajag Tashencha, Ori, the ongoing mass attainment of agitators, brackets, and regular folks. And we wrap it all up with a spot of conlanging. Word order in a besky? Do we go full Irish with the phonology? What even is Yarte Yartan? And what is that E doing in eCairn? All that, plus lots more, in this month's episode. All right, the show. Um, L show. L show. Unclar. Uh, Unclar. Uh, so interesting. Interesting that you bring up some Irish there, Bill. Um, quick news in my life. I promise I'll make this very short when we get into actual content. Um, Irish classes. I started Irish class- classes. Hussy May Morang and Agelga on me, Shogun, last month. Um, and just a little quick update. They're just. They're absolutely baller. Like, I absolutely adore uh, these classes. Mabunchor, Toshi Allin, my teacher, she is amazing. Um, and every week we read Irish articles together and, you know, have, have a bit of a cora, a bit of a conversation um, surrounding those Irish articles. And it's just great. And it's, it's mad because I find... That so much of the like latent Irish within me is just immediately coming back once being triggered by by her, by my teacher. Um, like just words that I was like, oh God, I haven't uttered that word in or that construction even in years and years and years. And it just comes back. So it's wonderful. So anyone interested in learning a language or relearning a language, I would strongly suggest the the app iTalkie. I will um Leave a link to this in the show notes. And it's basically an app where you connect with teachers and you have Zoom calls and things like that. Um, really good app. Um, so far, I really enjoy it. And it is so much better, obviously, than doing um, just Duolingo or another app because that's not how one learn, learns languages, in my opinion. You learn them through interaction. And you need I think you need that human ele- element if you're going to take it seriously. Um, so yeah, Irish classes. Ta- Toshi uh, all in. They are great. Uh, Emilian Gavila Fehersakuig Kahigaran Klar Osquelga Ayenu. Um, Bajor. <laughs> Bill says in, in um 2025 we'll uh we'll do an Irish show. We'll do a show just on uh just in Irish. And I said, uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you one one really interesting thing. Um, in one of the articles that we read, just a quick point. Um is um uh, so language um or or lame or um on talt fui ke me dini atos a tear show uh noch asaquij gaelga so we we read this article uh um about how many people in ireland are confident um in their in their irish and specifically their mm. spoken irish their gaelga laorta um now if i were to put this to you in the entire country north and south we got a population of just over 7 million, Oskion Shacht Million, Dini Satir, over 7 million people in the country uh, combined. Out of that, how many do you think would report that they're spoken Irish, they are confident in their spoken Irish? Like they can have a basic to intermediate sort of discussion in Irish. Out of the 7 million people, what would, you, what would your gut tell you? I'd say sub 100,000. 
sub 100,000. Okay, so according to this article, and it's it's um, it's um not just a... um I, I, If I find the article, I'll leave it in the show notes. Uh, but it will be Osquelga folks, so won't do much for you. I suppose the internet can translate it, it'll be fine. Um, According to this article, which is apparently referencing published data, so it's not just like a, a, an opinion piece, apparently um, it's 1.27 million people. Really? Yeah. So, like, just, what is that? That's over one in six people are confident in their spoken Irish. And that blew my little brain. And I think maybe people are overestimating their ability here. Because, imagine, if one, every every between sixth and seventh person you meet as you go through life is apparently okay at Irish. That, like, that can't be right. That can't be right at all. But apparently, apparently that's the case. Hmm blew my mind absolutely blew my mind and the article um uh, ascribes describes prescribes um this this number this figure uh to the sort of boom in uh in irish schools um, right. apparently there's some sort of boom happening now that people are sending their kids to irish schools um oh and for the listeners irish schools that are these are primary schools where uh, or elementary schools where uh, there's no English, it's all in Irish. It's fully immersive schools, and apparently there's some sort of boom in this, and they're attributing that to, to, to that figure to this. But that makes no sense, right? Because you'd expect that'll just be kids. Do we have 1.27 million kids in the world that can uh, that in in Ireland that can speak Irish well? Like I I don't know. It just it fried my little brain. I mean, just just on what you've told me here. Obviously, I haven't read the article, but just on what you've told me there. Is there a difference between confidence and ability? Like, they don't have a lot of Irish, but they can, they, they know what they're saying. Could that be classed as confidence, even if it's not high ability? So the article doesn't go into this. Um, okay. Purely because, like, my teacher picked a very simple article to mm. read. Like, she wasn't going to be like, let's read the re- the findings of this research paper at Osquelga, right? Uh, so it doesn't go into that. It just talks about confidence and that's it. Um, and like I say, I suspect people are defining that in very different ways. If there's no clear, mm-hmm. if the survey um, didn't have a very clear definition of confidence, I, I think that's when you get results like these. Um, yeah. But but either way, I mean, look, that, it's kind of heartening that there is, even if, even if it's like 25% of that, for example, we're still over what you were saying. You know, mm. um, which is really heartening to see. And, uh, you know, it's a Gwilga and Dove Nua. Like, our Irish is kind of cool. Like, Irish is the new black. Um, and I think people are, and, and there's a whole like urban Irish revival going on at the mm. moment. Um, so it, it's kind of in a cool space. Like, I wish we were more like Wales, where, you know, they really took this language rejuvenation, rejuvenation thing extremely seriously and it paid dividends hugely. Um, but, I feel better about the language based on these results and the sort of vibe yeah, of the place. Sure. Um, anyhow, so we do we do classes every Monday. Bishop August Mowunshor and yeah, Tonarangana all in Anawa. I'll keep you posted if I learn something new. <laughs> Please do. Please do. Please do. do. Uh, okay, so that is Irish classes. Um, couple of points actually only two points of follow-up on on my end technically three but one of them will address in the conlang section um first one real quick is lexergy 
actually they're both to do with Lexergy. Um, we were using Lexergy in the past show, Bill, remember? Yeah. I do, yes. The the sound change plier thing. And mm-hmm. um, apparently, uh, Graham Hill, the maker of Lexergy, uh, the creator of Lexergy, uh, is a viewer of the show and is now a patron oh. of the show. And I it, that, that also, much like the 1.27 million people in Ireland uh, confident in the Irish, blew my little mind. And I'm, so, I'm so happy Hello, to Graham. see that. Hi, Graham. How are you? I am so happy to say that. And, and Graham, seeing as you are listening, thank you so much for Lexergy. Lexergy is just total boss and it, it is so, so much better than its uh, competitors, if you want to call them that. Uh, it is absolutely wonderful. That being said, could I use this opportunity to put in some feature requests? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> just real quick. Uh, th- these are probably nonsensical to add, but I'll just throw my two cents in here. Uh, comment blocks, Graham. Um, it would be really awesome if there was a way when writing comments in LexG to, to like you do with code, um, wrap it in hashtags um, or something to that effect uh, to create a comment block. Whereas at the moment, you'd have to comment out each line individually. It only saves a few characters. It's not a big deal, but it would be kind of cool if that's more in line with what we'd expect from sort of code a coding environment. Uh, and the other one is uh, text wrapping. That would be extremely useful if there's any way of trying to make it so that text can wrap around uh, when it hits the margin of the, um, I guess, the input screen. Because you can, the way it is in lecture at the moment, it just, you can just keep writing to infinity, basically. And it can get if you have a very big comment section or a very long sound change, it can get a bit unwieldy to see. So if those things are possible and or in the works, can I throw my hat in and put votes behind those two things? Um, obviously, super minor things. The app as a whole is just stunning. Absolutely stunning. Thank you, Graham Hill. And thank you for watching the show. Why are you listening to the show? Like, we're just idiots. Like, you're you're like a cod-lagging royalty here. Like, this is, this is I can't believe you're watching us. So, so I'm cool. I'm not an idiot. Sorry, I shouldn't speak for you, Bill. I am an idiot. <laughs> I'm lovely. <laughs> you are lovely. Um, so that's uh, Graham Hill. Now, the other point of follow-up. God, this is going to be a very, very short session altogether. Um, the Via Vulcan tre- Trekkie on the Reddit. Uh, we we're talking again about Lexergy. And uh, Vulcan Trekkie, to paraphrase, brings up this thing where uh, Lexergy is wonderful. Except, obviously, it applies changes to the language in a very, um, like, rigid manner, right? Like, you give the computer a set of instructions, the computer executes those instructions perfectly. And, obviously, in the real world, uh, some um, some wrinkles uh, can occur over time, where things aren't, um, where changes aren't followed strictly, etc. Um, obviously, I agree with this, and obviously, like, no app... Uh, should should um, uh, like replace you know human creativity. So obviously, feel free to inject some creativity there. But I will say just on that, there is obviously a thing that extra doesn't account for and shouldn't really is phonological reduction. Like these broad scale sound changes kind of form the overall aesthetic of the language. But within this, there's like a sub layer of of sound changes. Uh, that affect like small function words and stuff. So you kind of do put human intuition into the process as you go through this phonological reduction sort of thing. So it's not like using Lexergy, you are devoid of kind of the human touch, if you will. Um, And also a massive boon is that if one is doing it by hand, sometimes you can introduce 
unwanted errors in like like not going through your sound changes in a uh, in a perfect manner, like skipping over things, etc. Electricity is great for like being like, no, no, these this is what you want to happen, and this is the result of this. Like, no questions asked, and that 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 is an important tool of it there. So, uh, just to bring up those points, I agree with what Vulcan Trekkie says, but um, yeah, there there is obviously nuance and things that electricity can't do that we will do uh, going forward. Um, so, like, it it's a tool for the work; it doesn't do the work. Yeah, it doesn't do all the work. Yeah. It does a lot of the work, but it doesn't, and I'm, oh my God, and it really does bit, it really does take away so much of the effort. Like, to, yeah, like, you know, it's one click of a button to just run, you know, potentially 20, 30, 40 sound changes. Whereas, you know, if you're doing it by hand, you'd be like, okay, step one, this sound goes to this, write that down. And then this happens, <laughs> right? And then it just, just the act of deriving a single word could take up, you know, a huge amount of time. Um, so it is, it is just absolutely amazing. Um, and actually, I haven't done this because Graham isn't on on Patreon, I don't think, but he does have a donate button at the top of the screen. So I am going to use my business expenditure um, to donate to Graham so we can keep up the development of, of Lextree. And we encourage everyone else to do that. Go over to Lextree, hit donate, and throw, throw Graham a couple of bucks. It's it's well, well worth it. Um, okay, uh, that's follow-up done on my hand. Do you have anything to, to say or bring up? Or should we immediately move into world building? <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I don't think I've I've anything to add. Uh, thank you, Graham, and thank you, Vulcan Chucky. Um, Lexergy, thumbs up. Two thumbs up. Twelve thumbs up. Um, okay, cool. World billing. Uh, in this episode. We're going to learn a little bit more about the uh, prisons in the for the displaced population of Lansk in the company depots. So it's going to be another really fun ride, this month, yeah? Yeah, yeah, you know, my general upbeat kind of stuff. <laughs> okay, go for it. <laughs> Esteemed officers of the hall, as the city struggles to regain its stability in the aftermath of the insurrection, and particularly due to the loss of Bailiff to Eintolf, a nobler man will not see service in the city for some time, I fear. We wish to extend every courtesy and assistance to the municipal hall. I can personally assure you the allegations circulating in pump rumours are nothing but fantasy. After so shocking and grave an affair as that which has afflicted this city, the fears of the population will likely cast large shadows from small clouds. A frightened populace has grown accustomed to deprivations and terror. Where none may be found, they will invent it. No doubt some agitators' agents still lurk among the people also, encouraging these anxieties and fomenting further action. The grounds of our depot are plainly visible from several spires, not excluding the offices of many of your hall's members. It is plain to observe that no mass beatings, public floggings, or cruel sports are being inflicted upon those housed therein. We are providing the displaced with food and shelter, allowing them to labour usefully and reaccustom themselves with stable society. Our investigations into the ringleaders and activists of the recent agitation continues, certainly. We do not and would not deny this as we have pledged to assist the reconstruction of this city, both its buildings and its spirit, 
Our detention of agitators is a service we offer in pursuit of that goal. Those found to have been involved in agitation are punished according to our laws, in accordance with ancient traditions and rights proper, and in agreement with our contracts with the Hall. While I cannot personally speak to the conditions and conduct in the depot of our colleagues in the Elkian Company, I would have every reason to assume they are similar to ours, and I have no doubt their commitment to restoring the city's happiness is equal to our own. We recognise, of course, that housing the city's displaced in our airfields cannot continue indefinitely. As the city awaits the complete reclamation of the ravaged district, we have decided to offer to the displaced population a chance to work in new settlements the company is building. For many, this will be a fresh start to escape the memories of what they endured under the agitator's yoke. For others, an opportunity to spend their time productively before returning to Lansk, having plied their trade or learned one afresh. This will alleviate the burden on the city and reinvigorate it when these bodies return. And so, until a new chief is selected to lead the bailiffs, and until the stricken district and its inhabitants are once again a part of a whole Lansk, the Tamar Company will continue to aid the Hall through this crisis to ensure the health and profit of us all. Yours, Dajag Tashansha, Commander, Tamar Company Lansk Depot. Okay, okay. Not not as depressing as last month. Still depressing. Like let's still let's, pretty bad. Still pretty bad. But but la- last month really was like it was borderline tough to listen to. Like not you know like in a sort of like sad trauma sort of way. This yeah, one yeah, is yeah. this is a bit. It's a bit more removed. This one as opposed to like the sort of very personal nature of the last one. Yeah. Um, all right. As all as always, gives a summary uh, and then I'll launch into some questions. So, the Jag we have encountered before a good few times. Mm-hmm. Probably the second most um, common character. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, authorial character. Um, and here, rumors have started to get out about what's happening in the company depots. The stuff we heard about in uh, last month's episode. For anyone who isn't familiar or hasn't been following, there was recently a sort of a... Uh, strike, a labor strike that grew into a rebellion in the city, Lansk. And it was crushed by the city and these companies. Um, and those who were involved, or even those who were just living in the place that was, was taken over by the insurrection, are being housed in prison camps. And we learned about the horrible conditions in the prison camps last episode. And here, Dejag is writing to the municipal hall, who are essentially the kind of rather loose government of Lansk, uh, to dispel those rumours and, um, you know, at least pay kind of lip service to, oh, no, that's not happening. And, um, yeah, that's kind of it. I suppose, now that you've mentioned it, I'll, I'll bring it up. The municipal hall, um, mm-hmm. it's, it's a local form of government. Yes. Yeah. Have we talked at all, or can you say anything about the overarching government? Is there is there a more, I don't want to use the word countrywide government because you don't really have countries per se, but is there a more, is there a federal type thing going on? 
What's the no. jazz there? No. So the, the, these are like city-states in a way. Yes, very yeah. much so. Very much so. Um, so there isn't like a, a concept of like Westphalian statehood or anything like that uh, for the Abeski. Um, the, the cities are independent, but kind of they, they view themselves as culturally part of the same block, but they're not, you know, formally um, Tied together. aligned yeah. as such. Yeah. Um, and even within the cities, the, the government is fairly minimal and, and hands off. Um, they do certain things like they oversee ex- uh, infrastructure and expansion um, and membership of the municipal hall kind of comes from, um, say, if you're a, a businessman who constructs a new district, then that's kind of considered under your uh, jurisdiction and, and you, you become a member of the municipal hall representing that area. So if you build a new spire and then there'll be like guild leaders of guild associations and the chief bailiff and stuff will be members as well. Just how you would like government to be ran. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we can't exactly. trust governments, so we should only trust corporations. Exactly. Essentially, what I'm rem- my, my rem- personal belief. It it reminds me a little bit of a, a little bit. Like I'm not saying that this this country does this, but is isn't it is it Hong Kong that's that's like this where a portion a portion of the cabinet is made up of business representatives? I think, or is it Taiwan? One of them I remember reading about and being noted would be like, huh. Like, the business interests very clearly are involved with government um, here. I might hmm. need to Google that and put it in the show notes. We have some uh, Hong Kong listeners, so I'm so sorry if I got your uh, your political system completely wrong. Um, or Taiwanese. I don't think we have any Taiwanese listeners. I've not heard from Taiwanese listeners. Um, it reminds me a little of that. Um, cool. Um, Bailiff Taintuff, he is officially dead. Yeah, I mean, I, that was I was always planning that he would be dead. Um, I thought it would have been a little bit cheap to not kill him off. <laughs> yeah, but but this is this is the confirmation he's died because last month it was just a case of like bailiff. We, we intend on ba- bailiff Tintov is going to be collateral damage, um, and this is the confirmation that he did and he did in fact die. Um, well, everyone seems to seems to think so. The the Ooh. municipal hall. Certainly seem to think so, and uh, Dejag Tashenshaw seems to think so. Now, um, again, we're going chronological order. Uh, quote, I can personally assure you the allegations circulating in pump rumors are nothing but fantasy. Um, I don't know why I didn't pick this up uh, earlier, but um, the newspapers, I always conceived of the media in, in this uh, city as being aligned with the corporate capital interests, right? Mm-hmm. Like being like a, a PR wing of these corporate capital in- interests. But if there's allegations circulating in in the newspapers that is contrary to the narrative that the companies wish to put out, um, the natural question to ask here is like, who's running these papers? Are there like, um, are there kind of like, uh, how would you describe, like alt-media uh, papers going around the place that um, aren't under the the sphere of influence of the companies because you wouldn't expect because if the companies are running the show you'd expect the newspapers to fall in line with the narrative but that seems not mm-hmm. to be the case. That's not about newspapers. That's just people gossiping. Oh, it's so it's literally standing at a pump. Yeah, not the rumor spread 
in papers like the mere sphere pump no no ah uh, yeah yeah okay that that makes sense that makes sense. so like the the name of the paper the mere sphere pump comes from this scenario people mm-hmm. talking around a water pump exactly exactly um that was dumb of me sorry that no, was quite... it's a perfectly reasonable well i don't know interpretation. I, guess, I guess i just got carried away by thinking of some like renegade in the newspapers maybe publishing mm. under a pseudonym and everyone's like who is this who keeps getting this narrative pushed through and there's like a big internal um sort of uh, hr disaster going on trying to find this one renegade um but that's yeah, a it, cool idea though oh good oh well thank you um <laughs> but it would make a lot more sense that literally just people on the ground have yeah have a different different opinions of what's going on clearly because you know they're on the ground they can see what's happening um, and there are um like uh independent newspapers and agitation uh, newsletters and things but they're understandably staying pretty quiet right now yes for sure for sure um i i really liked your line here uh after so shocking and grave an affair as that which has afflicted this city the fears of the population will likely cast large shadows from small clouds that's a great piece of imagery there i really enjoy that oh, thank um, you I have literally nothing to add other than I thought that was very poetic. Um, <laughs> so fair play. Um, the we are providing and again the, leaning into the idea of them as aviators rather than using yes. kind of nautical metaphors or yeah. Yes, yes, it was great, absolutely great. Um, the idea here, uh, quote: We are providing the displaced with food and shelter, allowing them to labor usefully and reaccustom themselves to stable society. Uh, again, just smacks to me of kind of like I'm really sorry, Americans, but the sort of American private prison uh, thing where it's like they're they're kind of sort of labor camps. Um, mm-hmm. And the notion of punitive labor, but basically slave labor, um, is uh, is reminiscent here. We're reminiscent of that here, and it's it, it is uh, brutal that that they would do this. You know, um, I was also thinking a little bit of uh, like sort of Victorian poorhouses and uh, mm. famine relief in Ireland, where you know they they were made to. You couldn't just give people food that would make them lazy. You know, you had to set them to go up the mountain and build walls. <laughs> I, I there was a rumor or not a rumor i don't know if this is true at all bill but um i can't remember where i heard this or read this but uh apparently so one of the uh punitive labor things that was instilled in ireland back in the day was just the building of infrastructure the building of roads and things like that mm-hmm. um and apparently you know you get pay, you got paid for the amount of work you've done uh, and Something about back of brain is telling me that this the incentives lined up as such that people just built exceptionally windy roads uh, to <laughs> to maximize the amount of work done because obviously a straight line takes less effort than a bunch of windiness. That strikes me as probably erroneous because you'd imagine roads would be windy to um, uh, get around obstacles. Like mm-hmm. surely someone, some overseer would come along and be like, "Lads, it's a flat plane. Why are the S shapes?" Like, come on. Uh, but I just, I, I kind of like that idea of like um, the, the sort of the, the ingenuity of people to overcome a situation. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> we need to get paid. We get paid at the amount of time we work. So let's make this road take forever to construct. How can we scam? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, the uh, going on. Um, 
the, the you have a thing here at the very end where you say, or at the very end, you say new settlements the company's building. We've decided to offer the displaced population a chance to work in new settlements the company's building. Um, this I'm, assu- I'm assuming is akin to the the American style company town sort of vibe, um, where the town is built by a company and you kind of live and work at the behest of a company in this town. Uh, probably get paid in company credits to buy at the company store, etc. Mm-hmm. Is that the sort of yeah. vibe you're going for? Yes, it yeah. is. It is that, and also elements of just another prison camp or labor camp. Um, so ah. there, there, there's an element of truth to what is being said here that we are going to give this opportunity to people. Um, it will, of course, still be exploitative. Um, and there's also an element of we are going to take these prisoners and just put them out of sight, out of mind. Um, yeah. And there's, you know, it's going to cause division within the the imprisoned population. Some of them will be offered um, the more lenient role of you can go and you can work here and you can maybe be an overseer to the prisoners um, to kind of cause division within them and, and destroy uh, internal solidarity. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Which would be wise because, again, the idea of collecting a bunch of people who are kind of a necessarily anti their captors it kind of seems like a bad strategic move you put all your problems in one place it's like a it's like a powder keg waiting to explode so you kind of need to um i guess not divide and conquer well i guess it is kind of divide and conquer but it's kind of like uh gather divide and conquer sort of a way Um, yeah it's what it's what they're basically doing here um and of course like some of them some of them are just like regular folks who aren't agitators who weren't agitators they were just kind of caught up in in this event um yeah, but I mean, we still can't say that just because you're an agitator here that you deserve this fate, you know? Um, well, we can't, but like, they, well, will. <laughs> they will. The agitators will. I'm assuming the regular grounds... Actually, there's a question. What's the vibe on the regular grounds folk? Like, I know there's allegations circling in pump rumors, as you say here, but is this mindless gossip? Do most people care? Are they aware of this? Um, what's the sort of vibe here? Because just, sorry, to... to expand on that a bit further um it, it it kind of it's um it's interesting to come at this from from the irish perspective where around the time when for listeners when we kind of had our sort of like big rebellion to try and get away from the english um you'd think that every single irish person would be on board with that but mm. there was an awful lot of people around the time who were just kind of like almost agnostic to it and just like yeah whatever or just openly like why are you stirring trouble like just kind of like everything is grand and fine stop causing commotion um it was really split so i'm wondering if there's a similar sort of attitude going on here amongst the ground folk there yeah there'd be a mix of opinions there'd definitely be some people who would be uh, in favor of the existing status quo and there were people who would be kind of agnostic and just want to get on with things and not not stir trouble and there would be people who would be very sympathetic to the to the agitation um i can foresee it going uh kind of like a post-1916 rising in ireland scenario where the 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 response was so um disproportionate that it it like from the authorities was so disproportionate and so cruel that it uh, gave a lot of sympathy to the to the risers and to the republican movement yeah um so I, I i can i can imagine something similar happening here i haven't game planned it out entirely in my head but that's certainly on the radar 
Yeah, with the way the companies are acting, like this is definitely Mm -hmm. a disproportionate response um, and will cause the fence sitters to move, I would imagine, for sure. Um, And final, final thing on my part um, is the very, very last line um, where it goes, I'll just read the last paragraph. And so, until a new chief is selected to lead the bailiffs and until the stricken district and its inhabitants are once again a part of a whole landscape, the Tamar Company will continue to aid the hall in, to ensure the health and profit of us all. And I just like that once again, like the, the whole driver here is just money. Um, that is what's, what's going on here. And um, there's no qualms. Yeah, you see, the money will trickle down. Yeah, trickle down economics. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's funny how it's funny how people keep saying that, but it never really seems to do much trickling <laughs> now, does it? <laughs> um but yeah yeah i mean I, I as always i'm intrigued to see where it goes because we this is this is a it doesn't this is definitely not a resolution this is definitely not a full stop in the narrative here um it, it leaves a lot more questions uh, um open than answered so i'm intrigued to see where it goes and how this prison camp situation um resolves itself what happens with it um yeah those are my thoughts. What have I missed? What subtlety have I missed, Bill? One thing I kind of expected you to say. Oh, dear. Um, was the end of the third paragraph. While I cannot personally speak to the conditions and conduct in the deep of our colleagues in the Elkian Company, I would have every reason to assume they're similar to ours, and I have no doubt their commitment to restoring the city's happiness is equal to our own. Um, I thought you might say something about that. And say, but well, aren't they rivals? Wouldn't they disagree? Um, but what I'm kind of going for there is they are rivals and kind of opponents in a field, but they're united in uh, trying to stop the agitation, which seeks to destroy that field entirely. Um, so yeah. it's like, you know, how just because one company decides to... Uh, be anti-union or start strike breaking their rival companies aren't going to suddenly become pro-union they're they're also going to strike break and be anti-union because they have the their interests are aligned in in resisting that change to the the context they exist in um or or to 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 give a more kind of uh, not not more modern but a kind of more techie sort of way that i would frame that is when tiktok came along and you have calls from, um, you know, big corporate interests to like regulate the crap out of it. So it wouldn't be a competitor to the already established tech thing. That seems um, the wrong way of thinking about it. Because you'd be like, why would we call for regulations when eventually those regulations will, will come on us? But it's like, yeah. they're just all, even though they're all competitors, they're all against um, sort of new competition coming into the field. And um, mm-hmm. that's the sort of uniting force. So yeah, that I I mean, uh, I, I I thought that almost uncommon worthy because I was like, yeah, of course, there's like a common goal here. And that goal is get rid of the problem. So whatever their differences, they will unite uh, at least in the interim. And I also expect them to Good. still be, you know, while they're, while they're still operating, I'm assuming, doing their um, uh, colonial mercantilism. Uh, mercantilism? Mercantilism? Mercantilism. 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 Are, mercantilism, sure. Um, the, uh, whilst they're united here, I'm assuming they're still conducting those affairs and they're still fierce competitors in that sphere. 
it's just in this one area. They're they're kind of united. Yeah. No. Yeah. Precisely. Yeah, perfect. Um, oh, uh, sorry. I do have a final question. Dejak Dushencha, can you just give me an idea of what was his title again? Uh, Commander Tamar Company Landsk Depot. Okay, so he he's he's a big wig. He's up there. Yes. Yes. Okay. Right. Okay. Grand. Because you were in the the PDF that Bill has shared. He um he doesn't have the title in here, and I was wondering about his status. Um, and that kind of changes how you uh read it in a way. Because if it's coming from the top, you can think of it as a very official declaration. But if it's coming from some some dude in PR, you can think of it as being. I suppose, more spinny or more of a plea or more kind of constructing the narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just wanted to confirm that for me because it's not written uh, written in front of me. All right. Um, world building done? Question mark, question mark? World building, yeah, I think it's done. Cool. Very good. I await next month's uh, um, missive. Um <laughs> with, great, with great joy. Um, let's do... Some relatively quick conlanging. Absolutely. Um, so, conlanging. Uh, before we get into what I would like to talk about today, I have just uh, one item of follow-up relating to the conlanging, and then I have some uh, questions for you. Okay. And then I'll, I'll give my presentation. <laughs> um, so, the first thing is, we got an email from uh, Vinin126, I believe is how you pronounce it. Technically, under the name or nickname section of the form that they filled out, they wrote Vinin126 None. Um, uh, it's got to be an error there. I'm sure. I'm assuming it's Vinin126. Um, Vinin writes, I was listening to the recent podcast uh, where you lads uh, are making a Slavic-inspired conlang, and I thought I would share a few thoughts on sonority of consonant clusters and clusters in general. Bill's preference for non-sonorous clusters is actually fitting, fitting with much of modern Slavic phonotactics. And then he gives a Polish example, which I cannot pronounce, so I'll just leave it. Um, <laughs> these were usually the result of the loss of the so-called yours in Proto-Slavic. Proto-Slavic had only open syllables, so no codas. Um, but when these two weak vowels were lost, many consonants came into contact with each other, particularly at the beginning of words, and many that break the sonority hierarchy. They also gave rise to the soft and hard consonants in many cases, um, as one yer was front and one yer was back. Um, second of all, you two might consider having some clusters match in voicing. Slavic languages in general apply backwards voicing, so the consonants at the end of a cluster determine the voicings of that that come before, except for V, uh, which does not determine voicing. Uh, I also think uh, it would make sense to disregard these comments <laughs> if you find them to not serve the conlang. But I do want to, I think this is instructive. Um, what Just because what we want to aim for, I think anyways, is we're aiming for like the aesthetics of a Slavic language. I'm sure you would agree with that, Bill. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're not aiming to replicate exactly what went on in the Slavic languages, right? Because uh, otherwise, that's not much fun. So whilst, yeah, there is a lot of sonority hierarchy breaking stuff in Slavic languages, we don't necessarily have to go that path. We're, we're kind of achieving that aesthetic with just having consonant clusters. Um, now, some of them will, as we saw last last month, uh, break sonority hierarchy, but we're not trying to do the Slavic thing, if that makes sense. Um, it just feels a little bit too much like copying. We may as well just do, you know, 
take Russian or take Proto-Slavic and evolve it forward and make our own thing out of that if we're going to do that. Um, so Slavic, like a phonostetic, but not actually something Slavic. Um, and the other thing on the, the clusters uh, matching invoicing, um, the, we, we're, we're doing some of that anyways because I have to, to try and get around some um, awkward-ish words that, that Bill has. Sorry, Bill. Um, so that is a thing we are, we are going to do to do anyways. And in fact, I think we're actually going to do it in the direction that uh, Vinin mentions. Um, so I just thought that was that was an important thing to say. Just because it's Slavic phonostetic or Slavic, uh, a, a Slavic aesthetic doesn't mean that it is 100% Slavic. Would you agree with this? Yeah, I, I, I'd agree. Um, like, I'm, I'm aiming to get that kind of feeling but not actually to make kind of a, a con-Slavic language. Exactly, um, exactly. Because the Slavic exactly. languages have already been made, and they, they already, they've already been done perfectly in Sorbian. <laughs> and why would we try and, you know, imitate that? Exactly, exactly. Um, so that is uh, point ahain, point number one. <laughs> um, the second one is, Bill, if you could open, I sent you a Statimshets grammar book. Um, so Statimshets, for anyone who doesn't know, it's a language I've always been interested in learning more about. It's a language up near uh, Vancouver, uh, spoken up near Vancouver. It is just a bananas language, um, and I, I'm reading the grammar. Uh, the The fact that it's Statimshets doesn't matter in this case. What I would like you to do, Bill, is I would like you to turn to uh, the introductory section, page 25, if that's okay. And people, oh, FYI, we're recording the screen as usual. People on YouTube, you can see what we're looking at. Um, there's a section here in the reference gam grammar on the Lilouet people. And it's a whole, it's basically a bit like, you know, it, where this is a fictional document, this is basically world building, describing the fictional people uh, before we get into the language, describing their, you know, obviously the Lilouet people aren't fictional, but uh, we're going to talk about putting this into Ecairn. So it describes, you know, their food, their culture, their surroundings, mm -hmm. important ceremonial things, etc. There's a wee map of what's going on here, yada, 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 um, important trees, basket making, etc. Um, so what I would actually request, uh, Bill, I think would be a really nice idea, both as catching new uh, new listeners up and as a bit of flavor text i suppose in an eventual reference scammer that we will cobble together throughout this process i would encourage you if it's okay to write up a piece about the abeski like the abeski people um, okay. as a sort of a sort of introductory note before we get into the linguistic nonsense in the reference grammar so i sent you this doc you can read it as a sort of um what you sort of should aim for um i think this would be extremely valuable so i would like you to do this if that's okay i hate to set homework but i would love this okay yeah uh, all right okay i cool. don't know if i'll have it for next episode because there's a a lot of things to consider but i'll give it a shot yeah i mean it it, it can literally be any time because it's not like the language stuff necessarily pertains to having this written up um, as long as you have an idea who the Hebeski are in your head as we go through this, it's fine. Mm -hmm. When we get that down on paper is kind of relevant. But I would really like to see it down on paper. because I And it, it fits as well with, with our sort of diegetic nature or your diegetic nature of making things. Like we could make this a reference grammar that's an in-universe document, like the Hebeski people documenting 
their language, you know? Um, so you could even like, you could write it with all the propaganda of the best people. Like we're brilliant, not like those smellier Thani, etc. You could do all of that, like cool diegetic stuff, di- diegetic stuff mm-hmm. in this, um, which I just think would add layers of kind of niceness to it. So I would encourage you to do this. It's on the to-do list. Uh, I am putting it on your to-do list. <laughs> Okie doke. Okay, that is uh, point number two. Now, point number three, before we get started with word order, which is what we would like to talk about today. Um, just, I'm continuing to work on the sound changes. We're, folks, we're doing this on stream. I will post on Patreon, both for the main channel and on the podcast Patreon. Every time I go on stream, work on sound changes or work on the language in general. Um, it's slow going because I have to code all this up and I've had a, had a bit of a redo as well. So I have no new sound changes to talk about this week. Um, but what I do want to ask you, Bill, is uh, about velarization. So real quick, um, in Irish, right, I'm sure you're aware that every consonant has two forms. Every consonant bar H actually has two forms. Um, it has a palatal form and a velarized form. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, um, the question I want to ask is, would you be interested in, we know we want palatalization because again, it's part of that Slavic phonos- phonostatic. Would you be interested Palatalization. In, right, ex- exactly. Um, would you be interested in having it contrast with velarization like it does in Irish? Or would you just be interested in having like a sort of plain, like a p versus, I can't, I, actually I don't know why I'm even saying this because I can't do velarization correctly. Would you be interested in a plain versus palatal distinction? Or would you be interested in doing a kind of Irish thing as well? That wouldn't detract from the Slavic nature. I guess the Besky people would sound like a native Irish speaker speaking Russian. Um, that sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if that's something that sounds great, uh, I am already kind of doing this, um, and I want to get—I want to get your yay or nay on whether or not you would like me to proceed. Um, yay or nay? Uh, hmm. See, is—is is it supported by the the canonical entries so far? No, but I think there's a lot of wiggle room here because when you and I speak Irish, we don't velarize for the most part anything but there's still the velar distinction in irish so i would just take the way you have spoken it as being kind of like a you're doing a hiberno you're doing a hiberno uh on (laughs) um so it would it would obviously it would change it would change the way it would sound obviously um it's just a question of whether or not you think that would be an interesting change or or not an interesting change. I, it it does sound like an interesting change. I'm I'm worried about like the point of doing it if neither of us can reliably produce velarization. I mean that is a that is a valid criticism and you know one that I would like you to contend with. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but bear in mind that like it's not. I don't know. My my take is that. I'm not. I don't really concern myself too much with the pronounce pronounceability of conlangs. Um, like, sure, it's nice if I could speak them, but like, I can't do most of the sounds on the IPA chart, so that's not a thing that necessarily concerns me. Because I, I make a distinction in my head between me not being a native speaker of the thing and the actual like fictional speakers who will be able to speak it. Like, there's there's a, like a different thing going on there. I don't really care about that. But if you do care about that, then sure, I can I can very easily not go down this um, palatalized, velarized route. We'll just do palatal versus plain. Um, and 
it's is it the kind of thing that it will require a different path to get into? Like you can't just switch it on and off. If you switch it on, you have to change stuff in the proto lang and in the evolution. No, no, we can switch it on and off. Like I'm going through, a, I'm, I'm basically going through an Irish phase in the evolution. It'll be explained later, folks, once I have everything done. Uh, like that's already in there because I'm using the vealerization to do stuff. Okay. It all it is is a question of whether or not you want to, once the stuff is done, like once the vealerization has affected some vowels and moved them around and made nice little distinctions, um, the question is, do we maintain vealerization versus palatalization or do we simply kill vealerization? That's that's it. Like it's a okay. super simple yay or nay. And in fact, like if you say yay now and then months later you go, actually, I kind of do want that or don't want that, depending, uh, I can very easily turn that on and off and it's fine. Okay. In that case, let's go with yes for now. Cool. All right. Very good. I make a note. Vitalization. Yes. Okay. <laughs> right. Um... So, uh, shall we get started with what we want to talk about today? Let's. Okay. Um, I want to talk about word order, if that's okay. Because at some stage, we're going to need to start talking grammar. Uh, Like I said, sound changes aren't done. But I don't want to just everybody come back and be like, sound changes still aren't done. We got all to talk about. Let's make some headway for future stuff. Um, So, first question on word order here is, do you have any thoughts about word order? Have you contemplated this, etc.? Uh, I haven't really, but I like VSO. Uh, you like v- VSO? You like mm-hmm. VSO? Okay, okay, okay. Um, so, uh, f- I guess first question then I'll ask in response to that is, uh, do you have any feelings about having a relatively free word order language or a relatively fixed word order language? Um, this is somewhat important in that if you're like yes i love free word order we'll have to do grammatical stuff to enable that whereas with fixed word order it just you know it's like in english you just put the words in order and it, you know, it's fine um i feel like have, a freer word order would be more slavic would be more slavic okay so that would imply stuff like case marking all that sort of jazz like you mm-hmm. know like you, you were aware of german like the way german marks case we'll have to do that so we can move the bits around happy with that yeah yeah. Okay, free word order. Now, as with any sort of free word order lang, um, it's a good idea to to set a... But, a but de- like, sorry, just to, to, yeah, to, yeah. to interject. Um, like, as I understand it, a lot of words that have freer word orders do have, like, tendencies towards certain things. And, like, certain word orders will be, like, registers of speech. Like, if you if you say it in a an uncommon way it'll sound like poetic or something so that- so that is quite literally what i was just about to say okay cool cool <laughs> uh with a free word or order language we'd expect a default order like yeah. a standard way of saying it and you can move bits around then because the bits are free to move around to highlight certain things or place emphasis on certain things so we still need to kind of decide on a a um a basic order right yeah so you say you're a fan of vso languages right mm-hmm. so like irish Eight I bread. Mm-hmm. Cool. That is fine. If that is may fine. Are on. Uh, if may or on. Or ihem or on. Ihem or on. Um, that is totally fine. Totally fine. Uh, you're aware that that is a fairly uncommon word order. Yeah. And they're and you're okay with that. Yeah, of course. Okay, Grant. I would have I would have said like anything in the top three. Uh, they are listed on the page. S O V V S O or V S O or S O V S V O or V S O are fair game. If you picked anything in the bottom tree, I would be like, 
can we reconsider, please? <laughs> um, so well played, well played. Right, now, um, that has implications, right? So the implication is that with a VSO language, we'd expect it to be what's known as head initial, right? Mm-hmm. If the verb comes before the object, we'd expect it to be a head initial language, right? And what that means is, if you, in the case of, say, a noun, if you have a noun, that's like the head of a, um, a phrase, of a noun phrase. It's the thing we're talking about. And then when we put modifiers on that, because it's head initial, the head tends to come first, right? And I've written sure. out a bunch of examples here. So in a head initial language, we'd expect prepositions. So we'd say in bread, not bread in, right? Like now, in, so yep. is that referring to the location of the bread or the bread as the location? That, that was referring to the location of the in part. No, sorry. In the phrase in bread, does that mean like where the bread is or when something is in the bread? No, 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 no you're overtaking. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. All you're looking at is it, add it position. It does. No, no, it really doesn't. All you're looking at is add position noun. Like if you could say in school, for example. I am in school, right? In a head right, yeah, that, then that, that answers my question. Yeah, so it's the location. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but in a head initial language, I am in school. In a head final language, I am school in, right? Um, yes. For, forgive my word order. So in a head initial, we would we would expect prepositions to, we can have postpositions, but we'd expect prepositions to be the kind of default uh, method. Again, as I go through this, just make a mental note and be like, I like that vibe. I don't like that vibe, etc. Mm. Okay. Same thing with adjectives. Again, we, we have a noun like bread. And if we modify it with an adjective, the modifier, the head comes first. It's head initial. So we'd expect, like in Irish, bread good. Um, or on jazz, right? Yeah. Not like in English, good bread. Okay? Mm-hmm. Same thing with demonstratives. Instead of saying that bread, which would be head final-ish, um, you would say bread that. Now, on a rancha. A rancha. Exactly. Now, again, there's trickiness here and we can move stuff around. There's a whole thing called the terminal theory and all that sort of jazz. But in general, the sort of default prototypical state is this. Same thing with numbers. So bread one in a head initial language versus one bread in a head final. Again, just like in Irish. In Irish, you say Iran, uh, awan, one Iran bread. Awan. Iran, awan, exactly, one bread. Um, possession is my bread. So that would be like Iran, mo in oh. Irish. Which is which is kind of weird. It needs again. Different. We can move it around. It can be mm. moved around. Nothing, none of this is set in stone, but it's prototypical. Um, same thing with genitive phrases. So if you have like the, it's, you basically say the bread of the man instead mm. of the man's bread. Yeah. Okay. And bread. then relative. Iran Edgar. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. 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 Or Iran Edgar's in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's because Edgar is modifying the bread yeah, yeah, and then yeah. relative clauses is you have like bread comma that I ate, yeah, ate yesterday is nice the relative clause comes after the the noun right so that's the vibe that you would get in a head initial language and if you're going to go with a VSO language that's going to be kind of a head initial mm-hmm. okay um, so happy with that vibe that vibe look good to you yeah Happy? You fine with that? Okay. Um, then I suppose next question to ask is about the evolution. You can have word order change over time, right? Um, this is obvious because like PIE, Proto-Indo-European, was SOV uh, and like English is SVO, right? Like there's there was a switch of order that, that went on there. 
Um, so, I, well, I mean, it's, it's not really that weird because you can just, bits can move around based on highlighting things and then that can become a new standard way of uttering things, etc. You know, it's it, it happens quite a bit. Um, so the question is, would you like to see a shift in word order over time? Um, now, this isn't just purely academic. This has uh, ramifications. So if I may just okay. continue with the lesson. Mm-hmm. Um, German. You know how to speak German. Ambition. Uh, ambition. So uh, forgive me, Germans, if I mispronounce things and or don't use the exact right vocabulary here. My German is spotty, but the overall point should still hold. Um, in German, you can say something like, Ich esse Brot, weil ich Hunger habe. Right? Mm-hmm. So I eat bread. Because I am hungry. But literally, that is, ich esse Brot, I eat bread, which is S-V-O, the standard um, the standard word order. Then you get weil, which is a conjunction. And then you get ich hunger habe. So I hunger have, which is S-O-V, right? There's a switch in word order. And I'm not sure if this is the specific thing that happened in German, but one way this can happen is that in subordinate clauses, which is that ich hunger habe bit, um, an old word order that was a standard before can get preserved in subordinate clauses. So subordinate clauses kind of become like the junk, can become yeah. like a junk drawer of history. So if you were to suggest, <laughs> if you were to suggest, Edgar, uh, if you were like, oh, Edgar, totally, we should move from v, uh, SVO to VSO there's an opportunity there for us to put that old order in subordinate clauses. We don't have to, but there's an opportunity. If there's no word order switch, we probably wouldn't do something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, do you understand? And yeah, no, I think I follow. Just, uh, just looking at this chart, though, mm-hmm. does that mean things can't evolve into SOV? Into SOV. Yeah, so I'll link the paper in this. Uh, a number of papers I've read over the years uh, have a suge- make a suggestion that SOV is kind of like the most basal sort of order. Um, like if you go back far enough, um, the, the sort of beginning of language or whatever, as, as best as we can define it, would be kind of SOV-like. Um, so, yes, kind of. Weird. Weird. Speaking of the chart, if we'd have a look at the chart for a second, mm-hmm. again, folks on screens can be very hard for the audio listeners for me to um, explain this chart. So please hop over to YouTube. I might put this as chapter art, actually. I'll put it as chapter art for the audio listeners so you can check your podcast player. Uh, this is a neat little chart. Again, I'll link the paper that shows the kind of um, uh, general sort of tendencies of how word order can can kind of shift where you might want to go over time. So, Bill, you've identified VSO as being something you would kind of like. Mm-hmm. We could see it, if you like this vibe of having the junk drawer subordinate clauses, we could have a come from VS, uh, SVO, mm-hmm. uh, from VOS, etc. Um, and again, whatever call you make here would be kind of how we could make our subordinate clauses look like. So what are your thoughts? And is there only kind of one option for subordinate clauses? Like all subordinate clauses will have the same rough um, order. Um, like there wouldn't I mean, be like, it's in VSO, right? And then type of subordinate clause A is VOS and type of, or well, that might not happen, but you see what I'm saying. And type of subordinate clause B might be SVO. 
So I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. Um, I usually just give all subordinate clauses that the same old archaic word order because uh, for me anyways, like aesthetically it makes sense because that's kind of like a cool little branding feature. And yeah. You would like that to show up uh, as often as possible to reinforce that this is a thing that language does and you would kind of water down f- that effect if you were to do something like that. And I also don't know uh, as to whether or not that is a feasible thing that occurs because I'm only yeah. aware of this in German where to the best of my knowledge all subordinate clauses are uh, SOV mm-hmm. um, there isn't there isn't a switch there um, so I would be reticent to to go down that route yeah. for the aforementioned reasons and also my ignorance which is a large reason as to why we shouldn't <laughs> do that um, but yeah okay yeah um, that seems kind of fun yeah Okay, okay. You need not make a call now, but maybe give me a vibe as to where you would like to um, to come from. SVO um, for subordinate clauses seems good. SVO. So you want to come from an SVO ancestor and a VSO um, modern line. Sure. Sure, okay. Making notes. SVO to VSO. Excellent. Now, um, there's a couple of things here that may influence this decision. Uh, can I draw your attention to the word e-cairn? Right. Um, for for um, uh, new listeners, I guess, uh, e-cairn is the name of Bill's world. Um, have you given any thought as to what that e means? Um, no, but it is often one word rather than two. It is often one word, as in, yes. as in this. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Um, do you see that as... Well, if you say often one word, um, do I take it that that E part is some sort of grammatical thing, perhaps? Like the noun is cairn and the E is modifying it? Um, Potentially. I hadn't really thought of it that much. It was just a, a word I liked the sound of. Okay. Um, because my initial thoughts because we're going to have to ascribe meaning to this at some stage. Uh, my initial thoughts that e cairn with a space, or even without a space, would be something like the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so that E would be like a uh, determiner, it'd be the. Um, if that is the case, then that maybe influences our decision. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that we can't go ahead initial, but it would mean that determiners come before the noun. So you'd have that bread, the bread, etc., as opposed to bread that, bread the, etc. So that yeah. that is something as well to consider there. Now, but there's a couple of things there. It's not necessarily that that's a word from Abeski. I mean, sure. That yeah, sure. Or it could be it could have been loaned in or something as well. So I wouldn't worry too much about. Um, that having a, a huge uh, impact on on the the grammar of the language. Yeah, a, sure. a, a, qu- a quick look at um what I've written um in Yanspar, uh, sorry in in Ekern, um, I only use it as a as a a, a single word. In the I mean that body of the text. Sure, that doesn't change massively because then you can just say that nouns inflect for definiteness, like uh, like Albanian. Um, so cairn is the noun 
And then if you want to make it the cairn, you go e-cairn one word. Right. Um, that doesn't really change it. In fact, I think that that's quite cool that there's a, you inflect for deafness. Um, but I, I would like you to maybe perhaps go away and think about this. Um, I wouldn't lean too heavily on the borrowing thing because, again, we would like to draw as much information about what we might do with this language from the word set we have. Mm-hmm. And, and it is uh, almost counterproductive, I think, to be like, ah, yeah, but that's a borrowing. So we don't rely on that. And, you know, this one's a borrowing. Um, we kind of, I think we should only rely on it's a borrowing if it completely goes against the narrative um, that we've established. You know, if we've established this whole thing and then along comes a word and it's like, well, that ruins everything, we can then just put that in the junk drawer. You know what I mean? Um, but we don't want to see something uh, and, and first thought being, oh, it's a borrowing. It doesn't have any um, effect, you know? Um, right. It's just, I, I, you can get less information from it that way. Uh, the other thing it just occurs to me, if we have a look at our word lists, yarte mm-hmm. yartlin. Yarte Yartlin. Let's have a look if there's anything to be gleamed from the word yar te yar. Is that how you spell it? Just yar like that? Two L's. They're like the yeah. Welsh. Yarten. Okay. Um how are you are you conceiving of these bits in any particular way? Um at all. Yeah, um the yar is the name. And then the Teyartlen is is a separate part of that. Yeah. So Yar is the first name. Yeah. Yar is the kind of the given name and Teyartlen is like a family name or something. Or you... Yartlen is the family name and Te is some kind of thing that joins them. Cool. Uh, are you thinking Te, as be, te of being a, some sort of genitive marker? Like Yar of Yartlen? Potentially. Or like son of, that sort of thing? Something like that. Yeah, I okay. guess. Um, so genitive, uh, son of is kind of a genitive. And then the Yartlin, uh, my initial thought when seeing the word Yartlin is that it's composed of Yar and Len. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that is basically, um, turns into Yar, Yarson, basically. So Yar of Yarson or Yar the Yarson, for example. So really Yar to Yartlin to me feels like, like almost John Johnson in a way. Mm. Uh, do you get that sort of vibe? Because again, if if so, this matters because then this gives us the hint as to what the modifiers are doing, and then that again gives us a hint as to what the, the, the default word order should could should should kind of be. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Um, I guess it probably would break down as Yarlen. Yeah, that would make would make sense. So that would apply. Because uh, it's it's son of Yar. What sort of son is he? Let me try and figure this out. What sort of son is he? He's a Yar son. What sort of Yar is he? He's a Yar son. So that means the head of that phrase is the Hlen part. Because it's he's a son. What type of son? He's a Yar son. Um, which means the Yar would be the modifier there, which would imply head fileness on that. Which kind of goes against the, the VSO sort of thing. Yeah, you see what I'm saying. But um, we did, but we did say like in Irish, there's some exceptions. Some of the some of the constructions are head final, so there's there's room for head finality, right? There is there is uh, some degree of flexibility. So there's different yeah. levels here. Uh, one is so if we take just as an example the relative clauses. 
um, relative clauses coming after nouns, you, prototypically, mm-hmm. that's a head initial thing, right? But it's also kind of prototypically a head final thing because uh, relative clauses can be very, very large. And it's a bit weird to have this big, large utterance uh, precede the thing you're actually talking about. You know, that I saw yesterday and who ate cheese, the man. That's a bit of a weird thing to do. You have to hold a lot of information in RAM, so to speak. Mm. Um, so even head final languages will kind of opt because it's just way more practical to put the noun first in this instance. So there's those type of things that we can do. Uh, but in general, a, a switch of uh, sort of expected modifier order is, to my mind, kind of best accomplished in a switch of word order of different types. So for example... Uh, if you said you have a VOS, I can't read, Bill, an SOV language starting off in the proto-lang, a head final language, and you moved into a head initial language, it can then retain some of its old head finalness, mm-hmm. giving us modifiers that go against the sort of grain. Now, in the option that you kind of went for here, or initially we're gravitating towards, we don't do that. Both VSO, both SVO and VSO are head initial. So we kind of don't have a change in uh, that sort of large scale change to kind of lean on here, if you see what I'm saying. Um, And we don't, and in fact, according to this chart, anywhere where we come from into VSO, it's always going to be kind of head initial. Um, But but could could we add like two stages to it that like, it was an SVO language and before that it was an SOV language. So it could be a, a carry on from like an earlier, earlier we, stage. We absolutely can do that. If you would like me to do something like that, that, that I can totally do that. Okay. I totally, totally do that. Because you could totally see it's a case of like, um, say in the SVO stage, the uh-huh. S and the V, much like in Irish, just bang together. Like the way we say ihm, you don't say like ihm may. Yeah. You go, it's all bangs together. So then really that just becomes one big V, right? Mm-hmm. And then later on, to add emphasis, they go, oh, well, I want to bring back the person marker, but we'll put it after because the subject's kind of already baked into this. So you can totally see that happening. So if you, again, if you would like that, I can, I can achieve this for you. Thoughts? That's a lot of information to, to follow all at once. Um... So in that case, because again, it is, I, I totally, totally um, agree with that. Um, you're going to be here for the premiere. So maybe use that as a second hearing to think about okay. it. And okay. then you can either let me know next month or let me know in chat in the premiere. Okay. Take time to digest it. Sure. Sure. Um, and I would also consider looking at the words, um, looking at some of these words and seeing, is there anything in this that implies like a grammatical marker? Um, like we can get this C sort of thing. What's this C doing? It feels very much like some sort of marker to me, yeah. um, et cetera. Have a look through here and try to identify some of those. And then we can, we can work on, uh, fitting it into, to a word order structure. Um, but I will take, I, I made, I made a note of your kind of gut instincts. So mm-hmm. they are noted and can be implemented when the time comes. Okay. Um, uh, and will Ain Kesht Agat, do you have any questions? Um, Ain Kesht Agat, can I a swing of? You will spend a tot? You will throw a tot? I will have you to will... think. Oh. 
Yeah, cahig is like I, I will have to as well. Oh, cahig, really? Ka is a, is a is a great verb. Ka is a great verb. So it's we're, like we're, seven different things. We're learning. We're learning uh, Irish on the main patron streams at the moment, and I was when when ka came up on Duolingo. I was like, this is a great opportunity for me to expose the virtue of the verb cah uh, to, to non-Irish folks. A cah is to to spend, to throw, to wear. Um, I think it's also to take in terms of taking medicine. To um, smoke. To smoke. You you cah, you cah tobacco. You wear. Uh, you wear. You, you smoke tobacco. It's a great verb. Absolute great verb. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. Well, if that's that. I guess that's that. Shine. Um, let me know. Let me know what the crack is um, during the during the, uh, the stream or in chat or next month, and I will uh, continue to make notes. Super. Right. Okay, dokey. Um, anything else to add? There's nothing else to add, really. Is that the show? Um, I think that's it. Yeah. Cool. I think we're done. All right. Uh, folks, as always, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much uh, for listening. Thanks for supporting the show over on Patreon. Thanks for joining in with the live streams. Um, really, really appreciate it. Um, until next time, Edgar, Edgar out. out.